It is so good to see you. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Haggai. Yes, it is in the Bible. It is about three pages long in most Bibles. And probably the pages are stuck together. But here's what I want you to do. Go to Malachi. There's Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament. Go to Malachi. Go to the left. Malachi, and then you'll find Haggai. Just go to the beginning of Malachi, Zechariah, and Haggai, okay? And you'll find it. And uh, we'll look together and see what God's going to say from this amazing prophet as we look together. I do want you to know that I, uh, while you're finding your way there, uh, our, our church is on Facebook, but also I'm on Facebook. Eric had told me, he said, man, let's get you on to take five minutes. I said, okay, that sounds great. I'll do it. Five minutes, and we're working on it. And we got it all set up, and he hits the button, and, I, and that tells me that, that I don't have a way to, for you to talk to me or for me to talk to you. And I'm thinking, so after an hour later, we realized that I'm not all together on Facebook, just got a picture and an invitation. If I do not respond to you, it's because I can't yet. I'm not trying to not talk to you because I love all of you, but I got a lot of good things I want to say to you, but it's just there's a bug in their system that hasn't got me up and running yet. So I'm excited about that, being able to talk to you and communicate with you, uh, but if you haven't heard from me, you said, I want to be your friend, but you haven't said back, so I don't be your friend anymore. It ain't my fault. Okay? Because I do want to be your friend. All right. Book of Haggai. Uh, this is a, let me give you a little backdrop here of, the, of, the, of why he's writing. Uh, they have returned from the exile there to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah came back and built, and, and before the exile was finished and, and began to build the walls, but now you've got the temple needs to be rebuilt. And so they came back with the purpose of rebuilding the temple, yet they stopped short of their goal. And so in, in looking at this, this is the word that comes to them. So I want you to see it with me, please. Uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord of hosts. And actually, the Lord of hosts is, is uh, the Lord of the angel armies or the Lord Almighty. Uh, and so... It, that's a, that's a pretty big title, okay? The Lord of the host says this. These people, talking about his people, say, The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Now, what Haggai is saying is, God has heard you say this. Now, here's how God responds to you. The word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. Now the Lord of the host says this, think carefully about your ways or consider your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink but never have enough to become drunk. You put on clothes but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. That's kind of like having a hole in your pocket. You put change in it and it disappears. All right. The Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. The prophet Haggai speaks a short but strong word from the Lord of the angel armies to think seriously about the direction of their lives and to act specifically in changing their destination. They were going the wrong way. They were moving away from real commitment to Christ and God, and they were moving away from consecration of His ways, and they were going the wrong direction. 
I think today we are moving in the wrong direction. Let me illustrate. I was at a uh, meeting this past Tuesday and where after 18 months of research, our Georgia Baptists put together a, uh, an idea of what Georgia Baptist and the state of Georgia would look like in the year 2020. Which isn't that far away, incidentally, because time seems to go by a lot quicker than it used to. But here's what we know. At, upon studying this and doing the survey, they have they've discovered, as, it, as on pace as it is right now, the fastest growing religion in Georgia. You know, a good old Bible Belt state. Man, Baptists, Methodists, and Presbyterians, you know, all denominations kind of everywhere. Churches on every corner, it seems. Fastest growing religion in Georgia is the Islamic faith. Yeah. How about that for a wake-up call? And let me tell you what the second one is. Well, the second one's got to be us, Pastor, because we've got a church on every corner. and we're The second fastest growing religion in the state of Georgia is those who are not affiliated with any religion. It would include atheism, agnosticism, and naturalism. I don't know about you, but that just kind of tells me we may be going the wrong direction. You know, at some point, how is it that we've given so much ground away and maybe lost our place in line? Well, the Bible says when you think you're going the wrong direction, you might want to look at it very seriously. I think when you look at it very seriously. Now, the evidence of going the wrong direction, incidentally, he tells them is you have no fulfillment in your life and you have no fruitfulness in your life. You've got all this stuff you're doing. You're planting, but you're not harvesting. You, you wait, earn money, but it goes through, a, goes through holes in your bag. It doesn't stay with you. It doesn't go as far because you, you are going the wrong way. In other words, my blessing is really not on your life. And therefore, there's no fulfillment and no fruitfulness. So he says, I want you to consider your ways. And looking at that, I want us to look at two things quickly. Number one, the problem of misplaced priorities. In Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek the kingdom of God first, and these other things will come to you, be added to you. They'll be a part of your life in the process of God's gracious provision and presence. But he says, but the thing is, the kicker is, you gotta, I, I got to be the first thing on your mind. I got to be real important to you. I got to be the most important thing to you. And let me go back. My kingdom work, and then me as a person, God says, I got to be the most important thing in your life and the most important person in your life. In understanding that, he's now saying to his people, you've misplaced your priorities. You got a problem. I wonder today if we perhaps have misplaced our priorities. Oh, we don't mean to. I mean, we don't start out doing that. But in the process of life, in the busyness of life, in the distractions of life, we sometimes misplace our priorities. We really have to know what's important. It's football season. And I promise you, if you were to ask a football team what's important, what's our priority when we walk out on the field? There's two of them. To score in the end zone, to score touchdowns, field goals, extra points, to score. And the other priority is to make sure the other team doesn't score as much as you do. 
That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's how it works. Priority. We're here to win the game, so we're going to score more than the other guys do. In, the, in, our, in our everyday life, we have priorities of how we do business, how we do home, and how we do church. The Bible lays out the priorities for us, and yet I see here as God heard them say, first of all, how do we end up misplacing priorities? Number one, we make excuses, and we're pretty good at excuses. In this context, uh, the people were saying, it's not time to be building God's house. Oh, it's just not time. It's not the right time. Ah, the economy's not that good. It's just not time. Excuses. Now, God heard those excuses, and he says, now, Haggai, I want you to tell them. I hear their excuses. We make excuses all the time. You know, it doesn't take much to have a good excuse. I was, I, I was driving down 41, and uh, saw Krispy Kreme from afar, and I'm going, well, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop because I don't need to stop because, you know, I don't need to eat those donuts. But the hot light was on. <laughs> the hot light was on. Now I have an excuse. I mean, I would, if the hot light wasn't on, I wasn't going to stop. But the hot light was on. Oh. And so I thought, well, that hot light's on. you got to stop. That's an excuse. I stopped because I wanted to. Let's don't kid ourselves. I, I, I stopped because I wanted to. Guys, we make excuses all the time about why we do stuff and why we don't do stuff. And yet God's saying, I hear those excuses and they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not satisfying what I need from you. And we're always saying, we just can't, it's not time, it's not a good time. Ah, you know, we got so much else we've got to do. And look, here's what he says. I, I hear your excuses, and I also see, number two, your exceptions. I hear your excuses, but I see your exceptions. You tell me it's not a good time, but it sure is a good time for you to build good houses. Man, you're building some nice houses, and I, I don't mind that you build nice houses. I just don't understand why your house has become more important than, than my house. Now, let me explain. Old Testament, the temple was where uh, God, in the minds of his people, the Holy of Holies was there, and that's where uh, the representation of their journey with God in the Old Testament was represented, and God's presence was there in the Holy of Holies. All right? So when they neglected the building, they were neglecting him, and they were ignoring him. And let me go to New Testament. He doesn't, the building is not a big deal to him in the New Testament. The heart, the individual body is the big deal to him. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The dwelling of God is in man. And so we need to realize that uh, it's important now how I live out my life daily. But in the process, while spiritually I'm his temple, in how I deal with the material opportunities he gives me and the buildings he's given me to, to use to serve him reflects my love and commitment to him. So all of a sudden, if I make exceptions, I'm not doing good. If I say, well, you know, uh, we're not going to do this. This is good enough for God, but it isn't good enough for me. My house needs to be nice. My, um, I need to have this and I need to have that. And I, and I want this, I want that because that's what's really important to me. And we get to make exceptions. Oh, God can handle it. He's, he's, he don't need that. That's fine. And the economy is just really not a good thing right now, but pretty much we have what we want. I, 
we perhaps are sometimes afraid to spend money on God's kingdom work, but we will spend money in every area of our lives for sometimes things that don't really matter. Now, God doesn't have a problem with how we, how we uh, if we're good stewards of how we do our daily affairs as long as it honors Him. But He does not want to be ignored. He still should be sought out first in His kingdom. And then these other things will fall into place as He leads. Guys, I, we certainly, we certainly, uh, when our children become, we, we want our children to have the best that we can afford and life can offer. Hey, that's what we want as parents. So we want them to play football. We want them to have good equipment. We want them to have a good field to play on. We want them to have good referees. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But we say, you know, we want this good, we want the best thing. We want good stuff, you know. And we want, we want, we want, the, you know, we want really just everything to be nice. And we want to have clinics and ballet. We want them to have just to go to the greatest ballet class. And we want to have all that stuff they need to look good and, and, and dance. And we think, oh, we want that. And let's be real honest. We won't spare any expense, will we? I mean, we really won't. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to their spiritual needs, we really just can't afford it. Our, the spiritual needs and the, and the things we can do for them at home and our spiritual life at home. But we're, sometimes we're too busy. That's misplaced priorities. Teaching biblical principles to your children and, and things of that nature. We're sometimes just too distracted. But let me say something else. In your bulletin, there's before you a voting on a motion. We're going to end this service. And it's about that educational building over there, that where we house our nursery, our preschool, and our children. And guys, we haven't done anything significant in that building since it's been built. And some of it's out of date. And I promise you, we would not want our boys playing football in equipment that was out of date. I wouldn't want mine to do that. I, I don't want them to come here and, 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 and just make do about their spiritual life. I want to give them a place where it's an, uh, an appealing environment, an, a, 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 an environment for educating them about spiritual things. We need a place where they are enticed to come and they're excited about hearing about God's love for them, about what Jesus did on the cross for them, how God provided a way for them to have their sins forgiven at some point in time in their life, to, to serve Him, to live for Him, and to be prepared for death when it comes and go to a place called heaven. That's so important. And if we're not careful, everything else comes in front of that. And we wonder why our children aren't spiritually alert or spiritually sharp or spiritually fine-tuned. Because we cut corners on resources and time. Men, they understand what things look like when, when you think they're important. And sometimes when they show up at our churches, they go, nobody thinks this place is important. 
So they might not really pay attention to the message that much. Well, I, I say this. There, there's before you an opportunity. We discussed this thing Wednesday night. It was unanimous. It was a great discussion, good representation from a cross-section of the church. It was very well done. And they unanimously put this before you today to vote on. I, I want you to know that's why it's there in front of you. It's a breakdown of how you want to do it. We need to do a lot of things. We need to do some fresh painting and take care of the floors. Those floors have been there since 1964. They need something done to them. We, we need to provide an environment that gives us an opportunity to really reflect our love and commitment for Christ and how we think the children are important. You say, well, you know, they're just children. Let me tell you something. Children are God's gift to us for the future of his kingdom church here. And if you despise their youth, you are going the wrong way. You will be embracing that. Do you realize by the year 2020, 30% of our population will be the age 20 and under? That will be the largest segment of population in Georgia. 20 and under. And if the church somehow doesn't wake up to our responsibilities and our priorities, you're going to have kids driving down the road saying, what is that plus sign on the church? And the dad's going to say, I have no idea because we've not done what we should be doing as a church educating and equipping of truth from the Bible. There's a group coming that don't know the Bible. And we need to figure out how to make it possible and easy for them to come and hear. So I'm just telling you. uh, And let me go ahead and say this while I'm here. The second largest population segment is 55 and older come 2020. And here's what I know is extremely important. As a matter of fact, it's kind of neat because the two prophets that spoke during this time, one was young and one was old, which tells me God has un- understands and knows very well that one needs the other. Um, adults, senior adults, let me tell you something. You need the college, young, single, teenager, and child in your life in church. You need that. You need their enthusiasm. You need their zeal. Yes, they, they bring a lot of stuff you're not comfortable with. Don't matter. You need what God has put in them to bring to the table. You need them. Paul said, don't let anybody despise your youth, Timothy. Sometimes we get too impatient with the younger generation that we desperately need. So why do we need them, Pastor? Well, if today you just marked out everybody that was 25 and under in this church, your lifeline in this church goes down drastically. And God don't want that. That's why he sends young people here. We're blessed with a good balance. We're going to take it for granted. Now let me speak to the young people. You need the adults. You need the experience of their walk with God, of the troubles and trials they've gone through, of how they have coped with disappointment and discouragement. You need to tap into their stories of faith because what they bring to the table is so amazing in motivation and inspiration. So the bottom line is we need each other. And we can't afford to say that that age group is really not important. And why are we spending that on an age group? And why are we doing that? 
Because we are a body in fellowship with one another, and therefore we do need one another. And I need to be making sure that's a priority, that we come together in fellowship as your pastor. And that we don't become segmented and fragmented in such a way that we don't cross paths. We need each other. We need each other. Well, the exceptions. He says, those ex- <laughs> you guys make exceptions. I'm telling you, consider seriously. Think it over carefully. And you may discover why you don't have fulfillment and fruitfulness in your life spiritually. It's because your priorities are certainly misplaced. We need to examine. But let me say to you quickly, I, I don't want you just to realize we're talking about a building. Talk about more than a building. Not only was the problem of misplaced priorities, but there was a picture of displaced passion. He's going to say over in chapter 2 that basically, uh, Haggai replied, verse 14, so, th- so is this people and so is this nation before me, the Lord's declaration, and so is every work of their hands. Even what they offer there is defiled. He was talking about consecration and commitment and, and, and holiness. He said, guys, uh, when, you're, when you're touching things that are, and, and involve, your attitudes aren't right, your actions aren't right, they're not in line with my desire for your life, it becomes contagious. And so it's what's happened is it's happened with you guys in Haggai. Now let me talk about the 21st century. I'm asking you to consider voting for this with the work of your hands. But here's what I'm about to say. That is no good if we're not going to let God do a work in our heart. For my passion has to do with my heart. Now, my priorities is what I live out. But my priorities will never be what they should be if my passion for God is not what it should be. If my passion for his kingdom is not what it should be. If my passion for one another in the family of God is not what it should be. If my passion for the community around me is not what it should be. It doesn't. My priorities are never going to line up. Because passion drives parties. My passion to see people come to know Christ. My passion to see people grow in discipleship and learn how to live out their Christian life as becoming salt and light. My passion to see us touch an unchurched world. My passion to see us touch people that have never really heard the gospel. My passion is a heart issue. And please hear what I'm about to say. We need to do something that building over there. Man, it should have done some a long time ago. Everything there is valid. But it ain't just about the building. Before we can really expect God to do great things with that building, he needs to do something great in our lives individually. And there needs to be a work of grace in us today as believers. Right here at First Baptist Lindale. Can I tell you what's sad? I was talking to a pastor the other day in Florida. Pastor friend of mine, he said, Tim, it's so hard down here. He said, we got worship wars everywhere. I don't know about you, but is that not an oxymoron, the word worship and war in the same sentence? I mean, isn't that something bizarre? Worship wars. Good, gracious, alive. How do you explain that to unchurched people? Man, we're having a worship war in our church. Really? No wonder. We're not impacting people. 
We're fighting over stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, we really are. We're fussing over stuff that doesn't affect eternity. And our passion is going out. Man, we need to have a, re- a revival of passion for God and for one another and for the unchurched like never before. And our passion, there should never be a passion for a building that's greater than a passion for God and for people. They need to be designed and, and decorated to reach people, not to be adored. And our hearts need to be pure that we can do God's work powerfully. Please hear what I'm about to say. As your pastor, and I love you very much. But there needs to be a genuine repentance among God's people in the state, but also in this church. To deal with the things we've said we should have never said, the things we've done we should have not done and should not be doing, for our attitudes and actions sometimes toward one another, sometimes toward the will of God. The very sin in our lives that prones us to rebel against God needs to be confessed before God. And we need to repent. It means change our mind, change our direction. Because we're not going the right way. And I don't care what you do to buildings. If your heart ain't right, it ain't going to matter. I'm not asking you to do this building over here and, and, so, and, and, and vote for this because we want to just have a, a, a great building. Let me explain it to you. Buildings are not to be museums that simply echo the past or monuments to elevate places and people. Buildings are to be mission stations existing to exalt God and experience kingdom work. I don't want a museum. I don't want a monument. But I want a mission station where we are going to do the work of the kingdom like it's supposed to be done. And we need to just do that. And that won't happen until our hearts are right. Till I really get my life right with God. Till I really get some of that stuff out of my life that gets in the way of His will. Those distractions that rob me of proper priorities. Until I do that, ain't gonna happen. So I'm asking you to do this today. If you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, I mean, really made that decision to follow Him and give Him your life and your sin and all your failures and trust Him. That's why He died on the cross. Then I'd invite you to come do that today, to step out from wherever you're sitting during the invitation, come down and and let's talk about how you can trust Christ today and give Him your heart. If you're looking for church home, I'd invite you to come join with us. We'd love to have you. You can do that during the invitation. Come on down. I'll I'll help you walk through it. But also to the church. Guys, we need to get real. We need to consider carefully. We need to think very carefully about our own lives and examine ourselves. Say, dear God, what needs to change in my life? Lord, what, what do I need to really lay before you and ask you to forgive? Man, that talked about people I shouldn't have done. I, I've done things I shouldn't be done. I shouldn't, I, Lord, I, I've, I've messed up. and I, He's big enough to handle all that. If we come in humility and say, God, forgive me and cleanse me and change me and use me, He really, really will.